Welcome to your Active Stack Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the GDPR and if recent cases are a sign of a new trend in its enforcement. For an overview on all things technology related in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website uractive.com. This is your Active's Tech Brief podcast. In moments of uncertainty and crisis, technology can support democracy, securing democratic institutions, increasing transparency and accountability in governance, and protecting and promoting human rights. Google is working with governments, NGOs and experts in Europe to protect citizens and the public space, and have committed $10 billion by 2026 to strengthen cybersecurity. Today I'm joined by Vincenzo Tiani, a partner at the law firm Panetta. Hi, Vincenzo. Hi. And by Isabella Rocha, Managing Director of the International Association of Privacy Professionals in Europe. Hi, Isabel. Hi, Luca. So we are here to discuss uh, how the GDPR enforcement is going. And this week uh, we have seen the Irish Data Protection Commissioner issuing a massive 405 million fine against Instagram. Vincenzo, what is your take on this decision? By European standards, this is undoubtedly a considerable figure, probably also the result of the confrontation with the other DPAs, has happened already for other cases similar to this one. I guess that such large figure stems from the fact that at the heart of the decision is the protection of minors. Um, who enjoy the enhanced protection of the GDPR, but which the text uh, has so far left much to the discretion of companies by not providing detailed guidance. Also in the respect of the principle of accountability. So there is no checklist in the GDPR in most of the cases, but uh, it's really up to uh, the data controller to find out the best way according to its business, according to standards in the sector and so on. But I have to say that everything con- concerning minors and data protection doesn't follow clear standards so far. And uh, so lots of companies are have been still struggling to find the solution shared by everyone. This, on the one hand, has left to a lot of freedom for companies to decide how to proceed. But on the other, it leaves companies in the dark. So it is therefore normal that during the investigation Meta changed the default settings for under ATs, but the authority could not overlook what had happened in the previous years, of course. However, it is too early to give a final opinion as the text of the decision hasn't been published yet. Isabel, let's look at the broader enforcement trend here, because the GDPR has often been criticized for lacking proper enforcement, especially on on. Uh, the major actors such as big tech. Uh, But it seems that we are seeing more and more uh, fines against these uh, big platforms. Do you interpret this as uh, the tide turning? It's interesting how often we put the focus on on big tech when we talk about the GDPR enforcement. Um, I think that term is not necessarily well-defined and and it can cover a lot of different business models, a lot of different practices. So I think it's important to be mindful about what we've actually put under this umbrella term as big tech. Um, It's not necessarily 
inherently bad, but we do see indeed a focus on, on some of the most visible um, decisions that, that are around a handful of, of players. That's, I think, part of what we, um, we visibly see. Um, but there's been over the years um, other important decisions with high levels of, of fines um, that have also touched other industry sectors. We've seen a few important one in, in the retail industry, in the hospitality business, um, and how to explain that? Maybe for some sectors, the, the notions of, of um, responsible data governance is, is not built in their DNA uh, simply because they were not built as data-driven organizations. For, for many um, industry sectors, this is still a fairly recent shift. Um, so perhaps enforcement against big tech can be seen as a, as a driver, as, a, as an incentive to really uh, encourage good behavior across the board. Um, but I think we, we may see more and more representation of, of various sectors in the way data protection authorities uh, approach their enforcement activities. Um, but as I said, I think there's an important element as well to what enforcement actually is, um, which is that enforcement is not just about fines, right? The GDPR gives a lot of different tools to supervisory authorities to investigate, to provide advice, to require changes in practices. Um, Finds are, are one tool in the tool shed, and, and um, it can be considered by some really as a last resort, even as the end of a process. So I think just because we don't see a fine uh, every day does not mean that enforcement does not happen. I think in Fine, one of the important questions in the community at the moment is also uh, whether the discussion should be about enforcement or whether it should be about compliance, um, and how the former really is perhaps one way to help achieve the latter. And those are questions that are really um, going around the community at the moment um, and to which we're still looking some for some answers. Uh, indeed, and... Uh... Especially uh, uh, as as journalists, we tend to emphasize the big fines um, rather than the the compliance that is going underneath uh, without too much noise. But just to follow up on that, Isabel, um, speaking on speaking of uh, very visible uh, cases, there are still a few pending with the Irish regulator, and perhaps the most significant one is the one uh, that could lead to a stop of data transfer uh, with the United States for Facebook. And so we are hearing from uh, media reports that there is a draft decision going around uh, saying that indeed these uh, data transfers should stop. Now, you are part of a global organization. What, what do you think could be the impact uh, if such decision was confirmed? Right. So I think in the in the landscape of major decisions that we're uh, awaiting for, I think the one uh, you're referring to is probably the the main one that everybody has on on their radar. Um, so we're still waiting for the decision, indeed. So I I, I won't bet on on what it would entail. But I think regardless of um, the decision, its impact will be. Uh, will probably be quite massive, uh, but it, it will depend on, on a couple of things. I think how how narrow or wide the decision is going to be is going to, is going to be an important element of it. Um, essentially, is it going to be only applying to as a specific company concerned or will it de facto apply to a broader set of players, to all actors who are um, indeed using specific uh, transfer mechanism? Is it going to require to stop personal data transfers from the EU to the US or will it require 
specific additional safeguards to be put in place. Like there's a whole gamut of options there. I think it's it's premature to um, to, to bet on what the the DPC might might eventually uh, decide. Uh, but this is also why uh, the community is so eagerly um, uh, waiting for or concerned about potentially what the decision will entail. It is partly because of, of the size of the implications there would be going well, well beyond uh, the Facebook company alone. Um, so I think many in the community are perhaps preparing for what would be considered a worst case scenario, uh, that the decision would apply very broadly to any organization that relies on, on this one transfer tool instead of factual clauses uh, for their transatlantic transfers. But I think the also the other important element there in the picture, uh, which will uh, decide on the impact of such a decision uh, is the fate of um, the transfer of the the other element there that's important is also the fate of the transatlantic data privacy framework uh, which is essentially a an updated uh, process to the privacy shield uh, agreement between the EU and the US um, the completion of that process would mean an adequacy decision for at least some personal data transfers in the commercial area to the United States. And so that would, again, uh, give some comfort to organizations uh, that need to transfer data to the U.S., regardless of um, partly what happens on uh, through the DPC discussion. But there are, again, a lot of elements there that... Um, interplay with one another. And I think the main element really that is that everybody's focused on is, is the uncertainty itself and what will be required for organizations to, to be or remain compliant after those two elements are um, have completed. If I can add something, I would say that it's true that yeah, we are still waiting for the new privacy shield for sure. And uh, this kind of decision could, uh, you know, speed up the negotiation perhaps, or had, you know, speed it up already. Uh, but it's also true that I see that the DPAs cannot remain on standby like for years, waiting for, you know, politics to, to make the, a decision. On the other side, the end result is that in the absence of high standards uh, that are shared for data protection uh, globally, we risk to have uh, you know a sort of splinter net like uh, the Russian or the Chinese model, which is contrary to the very spirit of the internet. So we really hope for sure we are all waiting for uh, this decision. But on the other side, I think it uh, leads to a major, uh, you know, major thought on how all this process has been working so far. Indeed, and the potential impact of uh, data localization. Um policies uh, on the on the internet structure is, is a major concern but let's stay with the uh, GDPR enforcement um, because um, I would like to develop uh, some of the criticism that has been addressed to the DPC uh, which is basically that it was uh, it has been uh, perhaps uh, too timid with big tech uh, it, it has a huge uh, backlog of cases um, that uh, it's not uh, going very, very fast. At the same time, um, those that defend the Irish authorities say that uh, they, they need to give it credit because these are big cases that impact thousands of other cases. They have very far-reaching consequences, so it is um, fair that they take uh, their time uh, to be sure that then these cases can stand in court. 
Uh, now, in Europe, uh, we have an experience uh, with antitrust cases um, that is, well, the record is not remarkable. Let's, let's just say that. So, uh, Vincenzo, as a lawyer, um, what do you see as the status of, of litigation around the GDPR? And are there signs uh, that uh, we could uh, repeat the major setbacks? that we have seen in the competition field, or are there signs that uh, this won't be the case? I mean, it's true, as you mentioned, the antitrust cases uh, took by the European Commission, uh, that this kind of case, especially against, you know, big uh, big tech, big companies require a lot of time. Uh, I mean, any case requires time, <laughs> even a civil, uh, lit- normal litigation requires time. So I, I can't imagine how much time you need to build a case against uh, these uh, these companies that, of course, uh, you know, have huge markets, uh, huge technology. Um, I think something that can help um, help us to um, reply to answer your question is the recent report um, published by the EDPB recently uh, on this uh, on the state of the art of the Data Protection Authority. Um, what we can read in the report is that uh, there are there is a lot of difference in the budget of these um, data protection authorities. So, for example, the uh, DPC budget, the Irish Data Protection Authority budget, um, still remains too low, despite let's say constant year-on-year increases. Uh, so, the current one is half of Italy's. Uh, so now it's uh, the DP, DPC's budget is 23 million, while the Italian's one is like 44, 45 millions. And I mean, in Italy, there is no um, no big tech at quarter. So on, on the other side, we can say that, uh, yes, there is the, the time issue. You, you need to, to, build the, to build the case properly. Um, on the other side, for example, the... I want to bring the Italian case, the Italian authority, thanks to its staff, has proven to be one of the DPAs more active and that has issued the most sanctions, um, especially against the, the telcos. So at that point, perhaps it should be the commission that should intervene uh, on the countries that are actually prevening enforcement by not allocating the appropriate budgets. Still looking at the big picture here, um, in June, uh, there was this uh, conference organized by the European Data Protection Supervisor that sort of put on the table whether um, a reform of the GDPR is needed. And in his um, keynote speech, Bieviorowski suggested that there should be a targeted reform, at least to harmonize uh, administrative uh, procedures uh, that are sort of uh, jeopardizing the uh, cross-border collaboration. More recently, though, the EDPB chair, Andrea Jelinek, said that uh, the cross-border cooperation system is working and that any uh, reform of the GDPR uh, is not thinkable at the moment. So, Isabel, how, how do you see this discussion? Is there a sort of... Um, uh, underlying fight between authorities, or what do you see as the status of, of this discussion? That's a, a very interesting discussion, and in my mind, it relates to a couple of things. I think one of the elements, and it, it kind of relates to the the question prior, which is 
the reform of the GDPR would, would fit into an entire privacy data protection uh, legislative landscape uh, and how it works in practice. Um, just under this current EU legislature, we've seen many new initiatives. None of them really focus on privacy specifically, right? But all of them, whether it's the Digital Services Act, the Digital Markets Act, the NIS Directive on Cybersecurity, um, the Data Governance Act, and showing of the AI Act and, and other proposals down the line, and I, all of them have some relevance to data protection and privacy. So I think privacy professionals that have to implement them in their compliance program, they need to understand what's relevant, how it applies to them, what the expectations are from a compliance perspective. And I think the same can be said for data protection authorities, frankly. They too have to understand how all of those pieces relate to one another and what are the expectations from a supervisory and enforcement perspective. Some of them may see their status, their mandate, and their resources, to Vincenzo's point earlier, changed because they may their mandate may expand to new um, supervisory functions due to that moving legislative landscape. So there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment about what that landscape might look like in a few months from, from today. Um, if we were to reform the GDPR, I think some of the questions that we would have to ask ourselves is also, what problem are we seeking to solve? What shortcomings do we want to fix? Um, we hear indeed that on the supervisory authority standpoint, there's a lack of resources, whether uh, human, technical, or, or also um, uh, from a financial nature. Um, that would not necessarily be solved by a legislative change. Um, whether a reform of the GDPR would be then addressing maybe the evolution of technology, of business models, and helping GDPR keep uh, relevant uh, as technology evolves. Not sure the legislative reform is, is the right approach there as well. So I think there's a real question about what a reform would be seeking to, to achieve. Um, and dependent of that would also be what it is that we collectively would want to preserve from the current GDPR. I mean, to your point, I mean, because we see some of those big fines coming out of the consistency mechanism, that's a proof perhaps that the system is working at least on some level. There are things to be improved for sure. And I think transparency about how those decisions are made uh, perhaps would be a, a, an added value there. Um, but the GDPR also has some pretty foundational concepts in it that are replicated around the globe as well. So I think raising the question or opening that box of reforming the GDPR um, needs to be framed with a, 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 proper, a proper debate around all of these elements as well. I mean, it seems to me that that debate has started um, either by initiative of the EDPS or, or elsewhere by a civil society organization pushing, uh, raising this question, let's say. Look, for, from my experience, I would say that actually, I think in, in some cases, especially when uh, um, a case is started by uh, another country, so not, for example, Ireland, where there is the leading supervisory authority, for a specific company. It's true that the tools are there, but perhaps, uh, especially at the beginning, uh, so in the first two years, the, um, some DBAs were too, let's say, shy or didn't want to uh, use these tools. Because on the one hand, it's true that the risk of bottlenecks that occurred with Ireland was foreseeable from the beginning. Uh, but on the other hand, and I'm, so I'm referring to this kind of cases, the GPR provides for a cooperation and coordination mechanism between the different authorities, mechanisms that are perhaps not sufficiently followed, right? 
Um, so there is actually in the GDPR, there are all the tools. So the leading supervisor authority doesn't have to, you know, uh, do all the work. They can really collaborate uh, locally with uh, the local authorities that can do the investigation, lead the investigation, and then just as a leading supervisor authority, they can just, you know, coordinate all the work. Uh, but on the other side, of course, uh, again, these kind of cases require time. And um, I, I would also I would like to bring the, the Italian case. I don't know in how many other countries uh, this is uh, a solution followed. For example, in Italy, uh, the DPA proposes an immediate payment uh, of the half penalty to facilitate the closure of the litigation. This is another way to uh, you know to uh, to conclude. Uh, to, to close a case um, and perhaps could be you know, an example followed by other authorities. Isabel Rocha is Managing Director for Europe at the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Vincenzo Tiani is a partner at the law firm Panetta. Thank you both. Thank you, Luca. Thank you. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletters to stay on top of tech news and digital policy development in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evie Chiori. I'm Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening.